0: Genesis 2, 1 through 3, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Mark chapter 2, verses 27 through 28. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. In Hebrews 4, 9, and 10, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, we turn to your word this morning, and we pray that you would give us attentive minds, open ears, humble hearts, and hands ready to do your will. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So my family is in a season, um, which I know many of you are familiar with, which is that um, one of our children refuses to go to sleep, uh, or goes to sleep and then comes out giggling and laughing, and uh, and then there's this whole routine of trying to put this one back to bed, and um, it's exhausting. <laughs> uh, this person gets overtired, gets a little frantic, gets a little delirious, gets a little foolish. And I know that many of you know what that's like um, because, uh, you know, sleep is important, right? Um, Sleep is important for us. It's also important for our kids. Um, It's a gift for them, and we have to help them learn to sleep appropriately. You know, we don't naturally rest as humans, as children, the way that um, we need to. We fight rest. And I think adults do this too. Um, All of us fight, rest, we overextend ourselves, um, we do too much, and then we too become frantic, a little delirious, a bit foolish, kind of reactive, we go from social event to social event, trying to cram it all in, we go from one activity to the next, we go from this project, and as soon as that project is done, we start another project, we have an assignment for school, and we're studying for that, and we, as soon as we're done with that, we're studying for another assignment, And our lives are just booked. Just like little children, we resist sleep and we resist rhythms of rest. And yet, in doing that, we actually erode our health and our enjoyment. I'm not going to take time this morning to quote study after study after study that shows how important sleep is and how important rest is for our health. And so I would say all of us can probably resonate with being restless And I mean that in both ways that word can be used, right? Restless meaning weary and without rest. That's a lot of us. But also the flip side of that. Restless meaning hyperactive, nervously looking for more, unable to relax because of anxiety or boredom, constant activity or motion. It's funny that word restless can mean like both of those things. I don't have rest and I'm uh, frantically active all the time. So before we begin this series in Hebrews, um, I want to just take a moment. This week to reflect on the rest that God offers us. And I'm and I'm doing this in part because I not only do I think this is a major human problem. I will say that as your pastor, I think it seems to me that many of us are struggling with this right now, this restlessness. Um, And so I want us to reflect today on what the Sabbath, what the Lord's Day, what Sunday is intended to be for us. God orders our time. He orders our time. He gives us a Sabbath, which literally means to stop or rest. Now, why does he do that? Well, why do we need this? It's because I think a lot of us need to hear this invitation of God, this command, but this invitation to slow down and to stop. And so this is what I'm going to argue this morning. And this is probably not going to be like a typical sermon. If you've been here a while, it's going to be sort of more of an argument. I'm telling you what I'm arguing for right up front. So here it is. And I'm I'm taking this from Jonathan Edwards. He, he summarized it this way. He put it this way. I thought it was helpful. So I'm just giving you his way of putting it. And this is going to be the argument. It is the mind and will of God that the first day of the week should be especially set apart among Christians for religious exercises and duties. Okay, It's kind of an old-fashioned way of talking, but... Uh, He's basically saying Sunday should be a day of worship and other duties associated with the Lord's Day, which we'll talk about And here. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to make one big argument for why I believe Scripture teaches this. Then I want to talk about how the Sabbath is a gift. It is not a burden. And then I want to end by talking about how we practice this as a community. Okay. so first the argument, and this might take the bulk of our time. So hang with me, okay? Again, it is the mind and will of God that the first day of the week should be especially set apart among Christians for religious exercises and duties. Um, To to put it differently, the Sabbath uh, is this day of rest, one day out of seven, that is part of God's moral law, meaning it is his unchanging commands that he put into creation and is extended across all ages of his work in the world. Old covenant, new covenant. Um, In the new covenant, this command to rest has moved to the first day of the week. And the reason we believe this from Scripture is, in short, because God created us with this pattern. And also because um, with Christ rising on the first day of the week, this um, shifts from being six days of work to rest. And now we move in Jesus from resting on the first day and then working. Okay, that's the basic idea, and this argument I'm making today is against two common errors that we will uh, I'll address specifically in a little bit, which is first um, the idea that we are not obligated to treat any day as holy, that all days should be treated the same. Every Christian should decide for him and herself, you know, how to go about resting. Um, that's one very common argument out there today. Many Christians believe, and on the other hand, there are some, not as many today, who argue that we are obligated to practice the Sabbath on Saturday or that any um, practice at all needs to be very very much like how the Jews practiced practiced the Sabbath, very rigorous uh, in every way. So those are the two errors that I'm trying to say that's that's not the teaching of Scripture. So let me uh, expand on this argument by first starting with creation. And I read this from Genesis chapter 2, but also in Romans chapter 1, Paul um, argues there that it is built into us, in our conscience, and from the way that God's made the world, that we are to set apart time to worship our creator. He says that all people know that they owe, they know something about God, that they're made by God, that God's powerful, and that they owe him worship, honor, and thanksgiving. And that they should be devoting special time to honor God and give him thanks. Paul argues this is built into all of us in our conscience All cultures, if you observe, are religious. They all recognize some sort of deity, some sort of higher power, and they set aside time to worship those gods. This has been the case across all different cultures. But in Scripture, we get revelation as to how we should go about this. And so in Genesis chapter 2, we learn that God set apart one day in seven for us to rest. I'm not going to read the whole passage again, but we see um, in the creation week, God's doing all this creating, six days he's creating, and on the seventh day, it's a different type of day. He works, he rests from his work, and he essentially sits atop creation, enthroned, delighting in what he has made. This is very good, enjoying the world that he has made. And it's an odd thing that God would rest, isn't it? Because if you know scripture, you know that... um, God doesn't need any rest. He has all life and power in himself. He doesn't get weary. He doesn't get tired. And yet God stops working and rests to delight in what he has made. And he sets apart that day for everyone to enjoy that sort of rhythm of work and rest. This is built into creation. That the seventh day of the week was the sort of climax of our work. That we also to join God in laboring in the world And then we also are to stop and enjoy what we have labored to do and what God has provided for us through that labor. And we enjoy it and we give thanks to God for his provision and we honor him. So he made one day and seven holy, that is different, set apart from the other days. And the Sabbath then is stamped into creation. The second thing I want us to see is in Exodus that God explicitly commands his people to set apart one day and seven to rest. This is Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 10. This is part of the Ten Commandments. And again, God says to his people, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. The Ten Commandments, we believe, are the publication by God of the moral law, that is God's unchanging law across time, that he has um, created us in our conscience to understand and to know. And we suppress that truth. We don't have full clarity on God's commands but all people that are created in God's image have this imprint of God's law on their heart the moral law and when God published the ten commandments so that all can see he he uh, left us without excuse you know we it resonates with what our hearts tell us about how we're to live we're to love our love God and love our neighbor and one of those commands is that we are to rest one day in seven. Now, in the writing of the moral law and the Ten Commands, uh, those are given twice to God's people. In Exodus, the reason for the law explicitly harkens back to creation, that God worked and then rested, as we just saw a second ago. But in Deuteronomy, when the law is given, God adds an additional reason why his people are to rest. And he says, it's so that you will remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that I rescued you and brought you into rest. So the Sabbath also became a sign of God's redemptive work, his work to free his people from the burden of labor that sin has uh, corrupted our works to become. So God gave us work, it's a good thing, but because of sin, work becomes burdensome and weighs us down. And part of what God's redemption was for Israel is to set them free from slavery, and us as well were to be set free from the burdensome of our work. Now, what's important to see in the fourth commandment is that God doesn't actually tie which day of the week um, there to rest specifically. He does talk about the seventh day, but it's six days of labor and then resting on a seventh day. And He doesn't tell them when they're supposed to start counting that time. But in Exodus 16, he gives them a specific start date so that they labor and then rest um, on the seventh day of the week. And we'll see how that changes in, in a moment. So the Sabbath is stamped into creation. It's also affirmed by God's law. It's publicized in this moral law of God in the Ten Commandments. But thirdly, when we look at Jesus Christ, we see a transformation and a a fulfillment and a transformation taking place. Jesus Christ, we learn, is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's what I read in Mark chapter 2. All throughout the Gospels, as you read Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees, you see him challenging the way that they applied the Mosaic law to their lives and to the people. And Jesus very much pushes back on the way that they're practicing the Sabbath, but he never overturns it. He never denigrates the Sabbath and says, uh, this is not important at all. In fact, he honored the Sabbath in the way he lived his own life. He lived in this rhythm of work and rest. He went to synagogue every Saturday, um, but he was constantly correcting the distortions of the Sabbath Um, and and proclaiming proclaiming himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath. He said that the Sabbath is for man. It is a gift to mankind. And you, Pharisees, have turned it into a burden. You've weighed people down with all these extra things you've added to it. You've distorted what it's about. And he says, um, it's a gift from God, and I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who has authority to clarify for you what this means. I'm also the one who um, brings you into God's rest. I'm the fulfillment of what this rest was all about. So he says explicitly to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. He fulfilled it. How did he do that? Well, we learn in the Gospels that Jesus lived his life obediently his whole entire life. He worked, he labored to obey God's law, to carry out his ministry, to preach the gospel. Um, He labored his whole life. And then he went to the cross and he fulfilled that labor by dying for our sins, bearing the penalty of our sins going all the way down into death. And then he rested on the seventh day of the week on Saturday. He rested in the grave. He rested from his work. And then on the eighth day or the first day, he rose again to bring new life and new creation and to bring the people of God into the rest that he offers. That is, you do not have to strive to gain God's acceptance. You do not have to strive to gain an identity. You do not have to strive to find fulfillment in this life he offers it to you as a gift through faith in him. Christ worked so that we can rest and receive God's grace, and out of that reception of God's grace, then we labor and we do the works of God. Our laboring flows out of the rest that Christ brings. He labored for our righteousness and for our reconciliation. He brought healing and an inheritance to his people. He set us free from our sin and from our slavery and raises us up into new life. And because we have that rest... We can then labor free and without weariness. So we see that Jesus affirms the Sabbath. It continues, but it is now transformed in Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate the rest of God, not by resting on the seventh day, but now resting on the day of Christ's resurrection. We worship him just like Israel worshiped on the seventh day to remember God had set them free from slavery to Egypt. We worship on the first day to realize that Christ has set us free from our labors by rising from the dead. And so the fourth thing I want us to see is the new covenant, this new arrangement, the way that God relates to us in Jesus Christ maintains this rhythm of resting and working, six and one. But, but again, we rest on the first and then we labor for six. This new arrangement went from the shadow, the way that it was uh, carried out in the old covenant, the shadow form, to now the substance of the Sabbath which is resting and then working. Jesus shifts to the first day because he rose on the first day. We see his appearances to the disciples in uh, particularly the gospel of John. He's appearing to them on the the eighth day or on the first day of the week, it says. Um, We see that uh, Pentecost is on the first day of the week. When God sends the spirit, it's the 50th day right after his ascension, which is uh, the first day of the week. And so by command and practice in the New Testament, we see that the first day, Sunday, is set apart as a holy day. Um, It is not like other days still. It is to be dedicated to worship and fellowship and mercy and rest and recreation. Where do we see that? Well, I want you to uh, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And there Paul is writing to the Corinthians about a collection he's taking up to give from the Gentiles to the Jewish Christians back in Palestine, who are poor and who are going through famine and hardship. He's taking up a collection, and he tells them um, that they are to take up this collection on the first day of the week. Um, Now, you might say, well, the focus is on the collection. That's true. The focus is he wants them to take up a collection, but he's saying, I've commanded all the churches in Galatia and you too, Corinthians, that you are to take up a collection on the first day of the week. Why? Well, at the very least, it demonstrates that Christians throughout Different regions were meeting on the first day of the week. It was their new synagogue. It was their new assembly day. But Paul is commanding them to do this. He's saying, "This is this is what you are to do." It's the pattern of the New Testament Christians that they did meet every week on the first day of the week. And we see this affirmed in Hebrews chapter ten, where uh, the author of Hebrews tells Christians, "Don't neglect to meet together." Well, what is he referring to? They they must have known this was some regular gathering. That Christians had, and he says you shouldn't neglect that. You need to gather regularly, weekly, with your uh, with God's people. We see this as the New Testament practice in other places. In the book of Acts, there's a transition going on between the Jews who have you know come to know Christ, who are used to gathering on the seventh day, to slowly this pattern of gathering on the first day. It, it, you 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 pay attention to when these gatherings are happening in the book of Acts, particularly chapter twenty. Um, you see that Christians start gathering on the first day as they're kind of pushed out of the synagogues. I already cited 1 Corinthians 16, but Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, is a really significant text where John, the apostle, says that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And it, that that there's a lot of significance to that, but the fact that he highlights the Lord's day shows that this has become the pattern universally at the time he wrote very late compared to everyone else. This has become the universal pattern. Why? Why do I say that? Well, he calls it the Lord's day. And whenever God puts his name on something throughout the Bible, that means that thing is holy. When he puts his name on his people, they are holy people. When he puts his name on a city, it's a holy city. When he puts his name on a day, that's a holy day. And John just throws this out there as if everyone knows what he's talking about. It's most obviously the first day of the week. So we see the Sabbath continues in the practice of the New Testament, but also it's commanded in the New Testament that we gather on the first day of the week. Now, um, you might have some thoughts about this, uh, maybe some concerns or objections, and I want to address those. Um, there are many people who argue that the New Testament shows um, that the Sabbath commands belong to the Old Covenant only. They'd say, look, you, what you're talking about, that's really an Old Covenant thing. That belongs to the law of Moses, um, and not the creation itself. And they would say, in addition to that, the Sabbath is sort of legalistic. If you're trying to practice the Sabbath, it's a legalistic thing. It's adding human laws onto God's word, and we don't really need to honor one particular day. We should all rest. Sure, that's a good principle, but we don't need to honor one day. And the argument here goes from the fact that Jesus, in his controversies with the Pharisees, is often sort of dismissing the way that they're trying to practice it. And so that's taken as a dismissal of the, of the Sabbath altogether. And then there's three passages in the New Testament in particular that people cite that seem to, on a face reading, if you don't really know what's going on, to suggest the Sabbath is no longer in effect. So Romans 14, verse 5, Colossians 2, verse 16, and Galatians 4.10. You can go read those later. You can ask me after the sermon. Those seem to suggest that every day is the same, and we shouldn't impose certain requirements on any particular day across all Christians. But let me respond to both of those. First, Jesus did not overturn the Sabbath command. Like I said earlier, he confronted the pharisaical abuse of it, and he affirmed that this is God's creational pattern. Now, the Pharisees certainly were legalistic in the way that they carried out the Sabbath. It became a burden. It became oppressive. They neglected mercy. They, um, they made requirements that made it hard for the average person to uh, fulfill um, the law as the Pharisees saw it. And so Jesus definitely challenged that, but his own life demonstrates that he did not cast it off altogether, but rather he tried to transform their understanding of it and say, look, the Sabbath is a gift. The Pharisees have made it a burden, but today many people um, basically neglect the gift altogether. And secondly, these New Testament passages that I just mentioned do not actually speak to the Lord's Day. and They are actually addressing what was very commonly being argued in the early church that Christians no longer need to practice the Sabbath as Jews practice the Sabbath. The Sabbath rest, as I said earlier, is part of the moral law. It's not nullified. If you take the Ten Commandments, all of those commandments are still in effect. None of them go away in in light of Jesus. Jesus affirms the whole moral law. He sums it up and says it's all about loving God and loving neighbor. He doesn't, cut out a caveat for the fourth commandment and say you don't need to rest anymore. No, this is part of the moral law. And these New Testament passages that are often cited are talking about the Jewish observance of the Sabbath, being on the seventh day, but also the term Sabbath actually um, began to be used to refer to the whole festival system that the Jews were to practice. All their different festivals throughout the year became um, known as Sabbaths, plural. And what uh, what the New Testament apostles are addressing is the Jews and the Gentiles who have come to believe in Christ are now struggling with how do we unify into one people. And a lot of the Jewish Christians were urging the Gentile Christians to take on the sort of cultural rhythms and practices of the Jewish people. And Paul and many others are saying, no, that look, to become a Christian is to have faith in Christ. You don't have to become Jewish to become a Christian. You can continue living in your own culture without the idolatry as uh, followers of Jesus, and Jews can continue to practice culturally what they're used to as they follow Jesus, but we cannot impose Saturday observance and all the festivals that went on with Israel's life on Gentile Christians. So that's what those passages are actually addressing. They're not addressing Lord's Day observance. So, what I want us to see, the big picture of this first point, it's, I, I swear it's the longest, is that Christians must set apart the first day of the week to rest from our labors, to worship, and to enjoy God's gifts. That is God's command, but it's also his invitation. And I'm going to get specific about what this looks like in a moment. But I first want to just name this, because I'm, I, I'm imagining some of you are feeling this, um, that this maybe just suddenly starts feeling burdensome already. Uh, that you're, you're just going to go, ooh, that's heavy. That seems like a lot. And I just, I want you to hear me. Um, this is this is the goal of this whole message is that the Sabbath, this day of rest that God commands is really an invitation to receive his gifts. It is it is a gift to you. Right. Just like the child that does not want to sleep, that the parent is trying to help them rest and they're getting frantic and, um, you know, neurotic and foolish and all that that. The parents saying, please, I want you to sleep for your own good. That is what God is commanding of us and inviting us into in the Sabbath. He wants to give us rest. And so this is the second thing I want us to see today, that the Sabbath is a gift and it's not a burden. The Sabbath is for mankind. It is for us. We are not created to live into some arbitrary rules about you know, what we do with our time. That time that God set apart is given to us for our good. God's purposes in the Lord's day um, are to give us rest from our workaholism. There are some of us who who, um, we just want to work all the time. There is always more work to do. We don't know how to sit down. We don't know how to say no. We're always striving. There's always more we want to accomplish. There's always more we want to enjoy. And God says you need to rest And he gives us a day where um, he wants to redirect our hearts from our idolatry, from um, living for created things and building our life around them to directing our hearts to worship and enjoy and delight in God above all else, to draw us into true worship. And he wants to nourish us with good news of Jesus Christ. He wants us to hear regularly that God has accepted us as a gift not because of our works, in Christ, because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and that we can have life and communion with God as a gift of grace. And he gives us the people of God to fellowship with. And he gives us many blessings that he wants us to give thanks to God for um, so that we grow into who we're meant to be because that's the aim of the Sabbath is freedom and joy and maturity. That's the aim of it. Freedom from our addiction to achievement and consumption and so many other things. Maturity and godliness. He wants us to set apart time to hear God's word and to partake of his sacraments and to worship. Because that is one of the primary ways God grows us into maturity. Just like a child needs sleep to grow into maturity. We are to rest so that we grow into maturity. And all of that is for our joy so that we would know God truly and enjoy his provision and enjoy of the salvation that he gives us in Jesus. God, friends, and I, we, we need to say this more often, God does not need you. The, the Sabbath is not because he's like, I've got things I want to do and you're working on your things six days a week and I need you to focus on my things one day. He doesn't need you. That's not what it's about. It is for you. It is a gift for you. The Sabbath is for deeper rest in your life. It is for deeper freedom. It is for deeper joy. It is for wider justice, which I haven't even touched on that part of the Sabbath, and I don't have time for that today, but the Sabbath is also about justice and mercy. Now, you might be thinking, okay, fine, I, I hear you, but I just can't practice this. Uh, it just is impossible. I've got too much going on, right? I have too many obligations, and we we have this underlying guilt that we cannot fail or let anything drop that we've got uh, on our plate. And friends, you need to hear that God does not give you more responsibility than you have time to fulfill. If you have more responsibility than you have time to fulfill, then you are taking responsibility for things that God has not given you. You need to lay some of those things down and trust in God's provision. You may say, I have too much I want to do. There's too many fun things out there that I want to do. And you're talking about a whole day where I can't do those things. That's not quite what I'm saying, but that's how we might hear this. Or I've got too much that I've got to do just to survive. And we've got this fear that we're going to miss out or fall behind. And I want you to hear today that God will not withhold good things from you. That is not his intention. God wants to give you fullness of joy. He will provide what you need. And if you don't think that you have that, you're probably reaching for too much and you need to lay it down and you need to trust in the provision of God. And you might be saying, well, I I have to better myself. I've got to achieve more than where I'm at right now. I've got goals and I can't be the sort of person who doesn't reach those goals. I've got to prove myself. I need to be someone. And I want you to hear today that God has made you and you are his handiwork, and he is renewing you in his time. So you don't need to keep striving to be someone. You are someone already. If you have faith in Christ, you are his child, and you're valuable to him. Our hearts endlessly strive for more. We are restless, Augustine says, until our hearts are resting in God. There's always more desire that we want to fulfill, and we have to stop and redirect our hearts every week to find our rest in God, because that's what Jesus came to give us, rest from our endless striving, so that we can drink and enjoy and delight in the life of God through faith in Christ. So how do we actually practice this? Let me try to wrap this up. How do we actually practice this? What am I actually saying today we must do? Practically speaking, What does the Sabbath mean for us? Well, I'm going to quote from a a guy, uh, Jake Meter. He's a PCA member. Uh, He's a writer. He's got great, great things to say. He says it this way. "Just uh, Just as it always has, the Sabbath means that this is a day when we order our loves toward God in a unique way that is distinct from the way we orient ourselves to him the rest of the week. What he's saying there is we always are to order our loves toward God. That's always supposed to be happening. But on the Sabbath, we have to do this in a unique way. Sunday is a holy day. That's holy means set apart, distinct, unique. It has to be distinct from the other days of our week. It is not just another day that we allow to be filled with things. We have to guard it, protect it, and fill it with particular things. So Jake goes on to say, how do we do that? And he says, don't overthink it. We go to church. That's the, that is the fundamental, basic way we fulfill this command, that we receive God's rest. The most basic way we can observe the Sabbath, he says, and practice Sabbath today is by participating in the public worship of God's people, united around the preaching of the gospel and participation in the sacraments. We, um, he's, you know I would argue, he argues, we have to build our life around this habit of gathering with the people of God. It, it cannot be a question for our family's friends about whether or not we're going to church this week. If that is the habit of your household, are we going to go this week? What do we have going on? Um, you're not receiving the gift that it is meant to be. It has to be the default. This is what we do. Uh, there's no question about it. We will orra- arrange everything else in our lives, around making sure that we gather with the people of God, wherever we might be, because you may not always be in Winston. Wherever you might be, you make this happen. We cannot allow other events, other obligations, to interfere with gathering around the people of God. Now, we order the rest of our week, Monday through Saturday, in such a way that we are free to be present to worship God with his people. Now, there are exceptions to this, of course, All right, and they have to be said. Uh, The phrase that is often used that's helpful is we worship with God's people unless we are providentially hindered. That means we are hindered by things that are brought to us by God that are outside of our control, like illness and emergencies. Certainly those things uh, free us from this obligation. We can't help it, right? God has hindered us from coming. We also must recognize that there is work that must necessarily be done on the Lord's Day. Some of you Uh, work on Sundays as part of your job. And um, for many of you, that's a requirement of the job itself, right? We have police officers, firefighters, nurses, and probably others who we would say are sort of uh, emergency services or other sorts of work. You have to work on those days. Society requires that sort of work is going on all the time. So that's work of necessity. And of course, there may be other types of work that fall into that. And you have to use your judgment about that. There's also works of mercy. There are The, the Sabbath is for man. The, the Sabbath should never be used as a way to prevent you from doing good to those who are in need, to showing mercy to people. Don't say, oh, I can't help you with that. Uh, this is the Sabbath, so you're on your own. That's not what the, the Sabbath is for. God, Jesus makes this very clear in the way he interacts with the Pharisees. Works of mercy uh, are good and allowable. On the Lord's day. And pious work, works of piety, that is all the work that's involved with worship of God's people. All the things we do here every Sunday um, to make sure we can gather as God's people, all of that is necessary. But corporate worship is the central, not the only, but it's the central practice of the Lord's day. Now, there are four others that I think flow out of this from Scripture, four other practices. And so I think of it as like a hub with spokes, like a wheel, right? You've got worship with God's people at the center, and then these practices that come uh, out of that. Fellowship, that is connecting, feasting, recreating with God's people. Formation, which is private and communal prayer and study and instruction in, in God's word. Restorative rest, that is gratefully enjoying God's gifts, which might mean napping or walking or going out in nature or playing. But what we should avoid is merely consumptive uh, activities that don't actually bring a deep rest. And that's vague. You have to use wisdom about what that means. But there's a way of resting, which is actually just like binging, right? You You know the difference between just enjoying a good meal and then having a binge. And we can kind of binge with, uh, with entertainment on, on the Lord's day. We should think about doing things that are restful and restorative to us and energize us the rest of the week. And then lastly, the fourth practice is mission. That is mercy, as I mentioned a second ago, hospitality, welcoming people in to our homes and to our lives and reaching out, maybe connecting with people who are outside the church. So let me just briefly say, um, as we you know grow into this building that we've just been given by God, Uh, and as we finish the fellowship hall, um, we are now in a position where we can start thinking about what does it look like communally to practice the Lord's Day in a more robust way. And not as a law, but as an invitation into sort of altering some of our rhythms, uh, I want to encourage you to think about uh, not only rarely missing church, which is kind of the foundation point, but spending time and dedicating Sundays to spending time in fellowship with God's people. We, we have a fellowship hall soon and we'll be able to pack a lunch or grab some food and bring it back and just be together uh, on Sundays. And uh, and then taking time later in the day to nap, to rest, maybe connect with a neighbor or a friend. Um, sometimes you know it seems like there's a lot of birthday parties on Sunday afternoon. We can go be with neighbors and friends. That's great. Those are the sorts of practices that we want to try to, as much as we're able, dedicate our Sundays to be a part of. And I'll tell you, I've mentioned it to a lot of you, I am loving my Sunday naps now. I did not. We never got Sunday naps until we moved to Sunday morning. And I sleep in a deeper way than I ever sleep on Sunday afternoon. Um, it's amazing. Um, maybe that's just me, but I encourage you to take some naps and enjoy some art and um, make art and walk and throw the football around and do whatever you do to be creative and to find uh, rest. And do that with others. Um, but we've got to live differently on Sunday. And that's not just for our sake, friends, but you know, the world actually needs to see us living differently than them in this way. They need to see it. They need us, they need to sometimes hear, We can't be at that thing you're inviting us to because that every week we do this thing on that at that time. We'd love to do with that with you later, but we can't do it then. They need to see us doing that. Why would you do that? Because God gives us this rest and He invites us into it, and this is good news and we can invite other people into it. If we don't ever live distinctly in this way, um, that will undercut um, the good news that we have to offer the world. So I've gone on long enough, um, um, but I want to say this table that we're about to turn to is one of the key things that God offers us on the Lord's day. Uh, it shows us and actually enacts the rest that we have in Jesus Christ. It It brings us into his rest. As we come to the table with, with our hands open to receive from God and to give him thanks, right? Jesus blessed the bread, gave thanks, and he gives it to us. And in the bread and wine, we see this offering of God to us. He, Christ gave his body for our sin. He worked and labored to bear our sin on the cross, and he rested on, uh, in the grave, and then he rose again. And that's all pictured in this uh, bread and wine. And so these are God gift, God's gifts for you that I encourage you to receive in faith. Let's pray together.